It's the end of October. Only two months left in 2021. How did it get to be October so quickly? Anybody feel like the year has just like really flown by? How many of you feel like the year has dragged by and has just been so, yeah, okay. A couple of people. <laughs> um, this morning, uh, before I start, I just want to take uh, just a couple of moments um, and express my appreciation for this congregation for Morning Hour Chapel. Um, I believe that God has moved and is moving and continues to move uh, in the hearts and the minds of uh, the people who are here, the people who maybe have not been here yet. Uh, and he continues to, to bring us uh, so many new faces, so many new people with their stories, with their lives. Uh, we have a range here of uh, people who are here for the first time. Um, and we have people who have been here almost all their lives. Um, I'm not going to ask how long any of you have been here because apparently I offended somebody by calling them an old timer uh, this morning after they told me they'd been here for some 30 plus years. Um, but uh, whether we're in uh, here each week with Sunday school, with uh, the service, our Bible studies, our prayer times, our community events, our youth group. Um, God is bringing us together, and I am just so thankful. I'm thankful for our children. Um, we just watched a, a, just a great uh, lesson this morning, um, and I admit it, all of you wanted to snicker when Kathy asked, right? So go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> right? We all want to snicker, right? We all want to be children at heart sometimes. I know sometimes I want to just sit on the, the floor with them and, and uh, listen to the, uh, to the message. Uh, I want to thank our volunteers, all the people who um, help us in ministry. Um, I truly believe that we are, every time we come to this place, we're led here by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we are here because God wants us to be here. And we, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that we are obedient to his call, obedient to the, to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and that we come here uh, and just worship together, do life together. I just really appreciate uh, this congregation. Also want to say a special thanks uh, really quickly for uh, Larry Miller, who was our uh, speaker last week while my family was uh, down in Baltimore um, being greatly saddened by the <laughs> Ravens being pounded upon by uh, the, the other football team. Uh, but we did, uh, it, was a, it was a fun time. It was a, it was a belated birthday gift for, uh, for Tom. And uh, so we had, we had fun just kind of getting together and, and doing those things. And we won't talk about the game anymore. Uh, <laughs> how many of you have heard of this little companies. You might not have heard of it. Uh, this company called Facebook. Anybody heard of Facebook? Just one or two of you. Okay. Uh, just older people, apparently, because young people don't use uh, Facebook anymore. Um, 
Well, Facebook's been in the news over the past several uh, weeks and months. Has anybody caught any of the stories about Facebook? Um, a former employee, uh, data scientist named uh, Francis Haugen, I think was is Haugen Haugen. I don't know how you pronounce that, but uh, she actually got up and uh, testified before a Senate subcommittee against Facebook, and she provided all kinds of documents uh, showing how uh, Facebook basically emphasizes making money over uh, what she calls civil integrity. Because all companies really are after civil integrity over money, right? They don't really care about making money. They, they, want, they want everybody to feel good uh, about everything that's going on, right? Right, absolutely. So she says that Facebook knowingly uh, allows and even kind of directs uh, conflict on its pages. So when we go, um, let's be honest, how many of us go on Facebook at least once uh, an hour? Um, <laughs> at least a couple of times a day, right? We're on there because... I mean, I see a lot of you on Facebook, and I want to see what you're eating, and I want to see the, you know, the, the things that your kids are doing, and you know, I'm sorry for all the blasts from you know, Josh's football games and things like that, and the 47 pictures that we posted that, but we liked it. We like to get, you know, we don't have time to call each other so much, maybe, so we get on Facebook, and we oh, yes, that's so cool, and uh, you know, we even plan things on Facebook, but when we when we get online, when we get to that place, um, Facebook uses this computer-generated algorithm to send things our way. And the more kind of conflict building that Facebook can do, the more money they make. Because we like conflict. Whether we like to admit it or not, we like to see people fighting with each other. We like to see people arguing with each other. Some of us even like to get involved in the arguments sometimes to our own detriment. But she says that uh, Facebook allows not only conflict but misinformation, um, sometimes outright lies, uh, and it doesn't really do anything uh, to stop these things. Um, she blames Facebook's lack of action on the things that happened at the Capitol on January 6th. She blames the 2018 genocide in Myanmar, she said, was, was directly affected by Facebook's uh, unwillingness to remove uh, certain pieces of information. She said they actually let the military like, use Facebook to tell other people where to find the people that they were going to kill. And all of this happens because of this algorithm. And uh, it's been adjusted and adjusted and adjusted to, to, to get us to see this maximum conflict. And as of 2019, and this is the, the earliest numbers that I could find, or the latest numbers I could find, Facebook had 2.32 billion users. 2.32 billion users. That's 0.2 billion more Facebook users than there are Christians in the world. 
two billion and Facebook is doing everything it can to show these people what they want you to see. They are putting out things so that you will be angry, so that you will get involved in conflict. And these things are happening every single day. And they cause us to distrust each other. They cause us to fight each other. They cause us to hate each other. But here's the thing. Facebook's been around since like the 1990s. Distrust and anger and fighting and hate, those have been around just for a little bit longer. Those have been around since Adam and Eve. The first time that we see violence in the Bible, it's Adam and Eve's son, Cain, who kills his brother out of jealousy, out of anger. We see um, all kinds of different conflicts. We see wars. We see arguments. We see all kinds of things that started in the beginning. We want to blame Facebook. We want to say Facebook is to blame for all of what's going on. Facebook is not to blame. Satan is to blame. In a way, Adam and Eve might be to blame. They believed Satan and turned their backs on God. But God, through his prophets, across all of the history of the Old Testament, and if you read the Old Testament, you'll see this over and over again, God has been giving his people a promise of peace. He has been promising an absence of conflict. He has been promising that we can live together in harmony. Isaiah chapter 2 has probably the most well-known prophecy about peace. It goes like this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established on the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. And that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations. Neither shall they learn war anymore. This is a significant promise to a people that had known nothing but conflict for centuries. Isaiah here is talking to the people of Israel. The people of Israel started out just with Jacob and his 12 sons, and grew to a number of 70 people. And they went to Egypt to escape famine. And while they were in Egypt for 430 years, they were held as slaves by the Egyptian people. And they were beaten, and they were just 
denigrated for 430 years until God rescued them and they left their captors. They escaped from Egypt to almost immediately be thrust into wars with other nations. Almost as soon as they had left, other nations were declaring war on Israel. And war has been present from the beginning. Satan declared war on God before the creation of the world. He then brought that conflict to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve chose sides. And here's God promising an end to war. But see, peace from war isn't the end-all, be-all. It is not what God truly desires. In Numbers chapter 6, we see what kind of peace God truly desires. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall, be, uh, thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This blessing is still used in Jewish synagogues today. This is the blessing that God gave to Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He blesses the people with peace. But this peace is not just an absence of war. It is not just an absence of conflict. The peace that God blesses his people with is known as shalom. Shalom doesn't mean an end to conflict. What shalom means is completeness, soundness, welfare, and yes, peace. God wants for his people a peace that permeates every single aspect of their lives. He's not just looking to stop war. He's looking for us to experience a peace so complete that we cannot help but exude that peace toward others. No matter how unpeaceful they might be. No matter how much conflict they might try to bring to us. God wants us to exude peace. And this is the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And over the past several weeks, we've been walking through these uh, beatitudes, the blessings of Jesus Christ. And these blessings Jesus gives are for people who would live out a life of true discipleship with him. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, if we use the term Christian, these are the things that Jesus says we should expect to be doing and 
how we expect to be blessed. The Beatitudes are found in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 3 through 12. We're going to actually just focus this morning on verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So who are these peacemakers? Who are they? What do they do? And why do they get this distinction? Why do they get to be called sons or daughters of God, children of God? So the Greek word for peacemakers here in this verse means one who works for peace. It's not, it's, that's it. That's the meaning. It's not this big mystery. One who works for peace. It isn't this mystifying idea. If you work for peace, you are a peacemaker. And the peacemaker helps to resolve conflict. And that's what they look to do. That's what they want to do. They want to help people resolve conflict, whether it's between nations or individuals. The peacemaker is seeking reconciliation. They want to resolve these conflicts and bring people back together. And I've known some peacemakers in my life, but probably none so fully dedicated to resolving conflicts as my wife. Because I get to see it almost every day. Wendy strives for peaceful solutions to every conflict in our family, regardless of who the conflict is between. It's true. For a few years, my older son Tom and I would constantly butt heads, right? I guess, I guess yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to agree with you because that would be... <laughs> But we would. We would butt heads. We would fight. We would have these just really like strong discussions about things where I was always right and he was always right. And we knew that couldn't be right. So we had these conflicts. And Wendy, first of all, we would, we would finally break off. We'd go to our, our neutral corners, right? And Wendy would come to each of us individually and she wouldn't yell at us. She wouldn't say, what's wrong with you? She wouldn't say, you're right and he's wrong. What she would do is help us to see each other's points of view. That's just what she's saying to you, man. <laughs> hey, peacemakers. And conflict arises once again. We're better now. We're better now. To my knowledge, she never blamed either of us fully. She actually blamed both of us together. You're just like your father. Yeah. Your son is just like you. And that might be the source of the conflict, that we were just like each other. But she helped us to make sense of why each of us were partially right and partially wrong. She did everything she could to bring about a reconciliation. She did everything she could to make peace. I mentioned that she um, also strives for peaceful solutions maybe in her own conflicts with other people. Um, 
Which brings me to my second point about peacemakers. They know conflict. Peacemakers aren't free from conflict. Peacemakers don't just jump into the middle not knowing how it feels to have a fight or an argument or a conflict with somebody else. They know. Wendy and I have had one or a hundred conflicts in our marriage, and we'll have more. But she always seeks a peaceful reconciliation. Sometimes she knows that that means leaving me alone until I realize I'm wrong. <laughs> but peacemakers know how to help resolve conflict because they've been engaged in their own conflict. But instead of burying themselves in the conflict, instead of saying, I'm right and you're wrong and you're going to admit you're wrong before anything else, they seek solutions. They seek solutions in a manner that is respectful. Solutions that are acceptable to both sides. She doesn't look to be right. She wants to see that right is done. And that is what a peacemaker is. A peacemaker doesn't want to be right. A peacemaker simply wants things to be right. And that is what they work towards. And we've learned through our Beatitudes so far that things that are right are things that are righteous. And peacemakers seek ways to resolve conflict so that God is honored and glorified. Psalm 85.10 paints an incredibly beautiful picture of what it means to seek this righteousness. When we seek to do God's righteousness, the psalm says that Pastor Joe forgot to put the, uh, the slide in there, but I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> psalm 85.10 says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace kiss each other. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. What a way to describe what a peacemaker does. When we strive after righteousness, we can't help but become peacemakers. And Jesus tells us the blessing for being a peacemaker is that we will be called children of God. And he's not telling us how to be peacemakers here. He's telling us through the rest of those blessings, the rest of those beatitudes, what it looks like to be his disciple. And being his disciple means 
that we seek righteousness so completely that we become peacemakers. He tells us that we become children of God. Now we only become children of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And we read all kinds of Scripture passages about how we come to faith in Jesus Christ if you believe with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and believe with your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You shall be saved. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. That's what God wants. That's the peace that God truly seeks. Peace with the world and reconciliation. Colossians 1.20 says, To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The blood of Jesus Christ reconciles us to God the Father. And what Jesus is telling us is that when we humble ourselves, when we repent of our sins, we take on the characteristics of the Father, just like natural children take on the characteristics of their parents, whether they like it or not. We take on the attributes of God. And God seeks peace with humanity. God seeks peace with every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. And disciples of Christ who already know that peace ought to be seeking peace with our fellow human beings. All of them. This is the progression of these beatitudes, these blessings of Jesus. Can you see it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. When we're poor in spirit, we mourn over the conflict that we've had with God. We mourn over our sin. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek, the humble, the people who will humbly kneel before God and say, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I have lived against you and I need your grace and your mercy. And when we submit to God as we ask for forgiveness for the sin that keeps us apart from Him, we hunger and thirst for God and His righteousness. And as we continue to hunger and thirst, as we continue to be filled with His righteousness, we understand that other people are in the same state as we were. They are at war with God. They are not reconciled with God. And it should break our hearts. We should mourn for them and with them because they don't know God's peace. They don't know shalom. And because we have known God's peace, 
because we can mourn that others don't yet know that peace, we can start practicing mercy. We can start looking at other people and saying, I know why they're that way. They don't know God's peace. And we can show mercy to them. And when we act in mercy, we are acting in purity of heart. The only thing our hearts want is for them to know God and to know peace. That's all we want. And with that purity of heart, we can spread the message of reconciliation. We can spread the message of peace that God wants for all of us. We become agents of peace. Spreading peace wherever we go. Not just peace in our human conflicts. Although that's a good place to start but helping people know the gospel of the kingdom of God that leads them to perfect peace. One last thing that we recognize in this particular beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, is that peacemaking is an activity. Peacemaking is a doing of something. And it is something that we ought to all be doing if we have accepted God's grace and forgiveness and we have reconciled to God. Peacemaking is something that we ought to be doing if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us later in Matthew, if you do these words of mine... you will be like a house built upon the rock and when the storms come the storms won't be able to knock over that house. And conflict is a big storm. And when we do these things that Jesus teaches us to do, when we do the things that He commands us to do, we can stand up and we can say, I want peace. I'm not going to let this conflict come between you and God. I'm not going to let myself become between you and God. The Apostle Paul tells us about this. He talks to the church in Rome and in Romans chapter 12 he says live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And this is the big one. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Doesn't that sound easy? Simple, right? Live in harmony with one another. Repay no one evil for evil. Live peaceably with all. Woohoo! So simple. It's not. 
But this is the life of a child of God. This is the life of a peacemaker. And notice that Paul doesn't say here that it's our responsibility to make others live peaceably. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You do your part. You obey Christ's commands. You follow Christ's teachings and do His words. That's your responsibility. Whether somebody else wants to act in conflict to you, that is not on you. That is not something for you to even worry about. We should be putting those things on God where they belong. This is a call to Christians taking responsibility for us and not worrying about what other people are doing to us. You do whatever you have to do to live peaceably with all. I do what I have to do to live peaceably with all. Do not be haughty, and asso but associate with the lowly. That's one of the things that he tells us to do so that we can live peaceably. And who are the lowly? James talks about the lowly. He says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Visit the orphan and the widow. Go to them. Visit them. Spend time with them in their affliction. Or as Paul says, associate with them. Don't look down on them. Don't be haughty. Don't think you're better than they are just because things aren't going so well for them. That's living peaceably with somebody. Paul says, never be wise in your own sight. Proverbs 12, 15 expands on this idea. He says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Paul's saying, don't be a fool. You're not in this by yourself. We need to rely on one another. We need to accept help. How many of you have real trouble accepting help from people? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. We do. And Paul is telling us that's not the way to live in peace. That's not the way to associate with one another. Repay no one evil for evil. That's a real easy one, right? We find this exhortation several times in Scripture. In Proverbs 24, 29, Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. 1 Peter 3, 9, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. What blessing? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That's the blessing. We're not supposed to repay evil for evil or hate for hate. We're supposed to bless people. 
And Peter, he's not just making this up off the top of his head. He spent three years with Jesus. And Jesus himself talks about this. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now this evil is not somebody who is mean and nasty and, and evil, evil, right? When he's talking about evil, he's talking about anybody that's doing anything against you. Do not resist that person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him take your cloak as well. Tunic is a shirt, cloak is a coat. Let him have your coat too. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus teaches us how to live as peacemakers. And we've been doing this Bible study class in, uh, on Tuesday nights, and uh, we've learned a little bit about commentaries. And I love this uh, kind of description from Matthew Henry's commentary uh, about this passage. He says, suffer any injury that can be borne for the sake of peace, committing your concerns to the Lord's keeping. What that means is somebody strikes you on the right cheek, God will take care of it. You're not to strike him back. That's what it means. And the sum of all is that Christians must avoid disputing and striving. And we dispute and we strive a lot. If any say flesh and blood cannot pass such an affront, let them remember that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not something we're supposed to do on our own strength. This is not a flesh and blood thing. This is a spirit thing. We are weak in the flesh, but we are strong in the spirit. And those who act upon right principles will have most peace and comfort. There's that word peace again. The Christian avoids disputing. The Christian acts on right principles, which is just another way of saying the righteousness of God. The Christian is an active peacemaker. The Christian does not seek retaliation for anything. It's not our job. Retaliation does not show people God. Retaliation shows people ourselves. We put retaliation in God's hands. There's one other thing we don't do. And this one is even harder. Oh yeah, sure, I can let somebody slap me in the face. I can let somebody take my clothes. I can let somebody break into my house, steal all my stuff. But I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pray that God punishes them every single day for the rest of my life. Oh yeah. God's going to get his vengeance on you and I want him to. You got to pay and God's going to make you 
That's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to hope that God smites down the people who have just smacked us in the face. We're supposed to pray for those people. We're supposed to pray that they somehow come to know reconciliation with God. We are supposed to pray that they know the peace, the shalom that God gives. We are to pray that they too will become peacemakers. That's what we're supposed to do. And it's easier said than done. Matthew Henry said it himself. You can't think of this in terms of flesh and blood. You've got to think about this with poverty of spirit. With mourning over sin. With meekness, humility. And most of all, we need to think about it in the framework of God's grace and mercy that He has already shown to us. There is not a person on the face of this earth that you will ever look at that God doesn't love. There is not a person on the face of this earth that you will ever look at that God does not want to reconcile with. They don't exist. And it's hard when we think in the terms of flesh and blood. But when we think of the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us when we have accepted God's grace and God's mercy, well, the Holy Spirit can give us the power to forgive. The Holy Spirit can give us the power to not seek uh, (laughs) retribution, but rather to seek Reconciliation. The Holy Spirit can give us the power to pray for the people who have done us wrong. Will you use the power of the Holy Spirit or will you use your own power when you come against conflict with another person? I fail. I fail often. And I got to ask God to forgive me. And then I got to go back and work towards reconciliation. I got to go back and work towards peace. We all will fail. But every time we do, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to restore our hearts, to restore our minds, to restore. This idea that we should be making peace and not conflict. Peacemaking is possible when we allow the Holy Spirit to mold us, to shape us, to make us new creations that look like God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we know that we are people of conflict. This is what sin has done. It has made us resist others. 
retaliate against others. Because first it made us resist you. To go to war with you. To remove the peace that we once had with you. And Father, we are so thankful that you have made a way to peace. That you sent your son Jesus Christ so that through his blood we might know reconciliation with you. Father, strengthen us in the Holy Spirit. Bring us a spirit of peace, a spirit of reconciliation, a spirit that tells us to resolve our conflicts with others and to see them as you see them, as loved, as desired. Help us to see that you want reconciliation with them too and make that the desire of our hearts. Make that the action of everything we do. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for his death and his resurrection. Amen. Morning Hour Chapel. We are to be the home of peace. We are to carry peace from here out into the world in our jobs, at our schools, and with everyone we encounter. We should desire their reconciliation with God the Father. So I invite you this week, go with God's peace and give it to everyone you meet. God bless you.